Why do you say that, Father? You aren't afraid, are you? No. But I respect some of the superstitions of others. Often they are founded in fact. Broadcasting live from our Sanctum Sanctorum in Venice, California, this is the Sixth Sense Society. I'm your host, Krista, here with our producer, Michael, and today we are most excited to have back on the show Dan Moore, who is a member of the Hidden uh, Fraternity of Light, or actually it's the Fraternity of Hidden Light, sorry, and has been researching the Hermetic Kabbalah for over 50 years, and he has been on the show now three other times. Um, we met him the first time we talked about his background and Hermetic Kabbalah and a little of that. And in general, he talked about alchemy on a second show, and he was part of our magical panel, which was really a lot of fun. So we're really thrilled to have him back. And this time he's going to be talking about the 32 paths of wisdom and the three orders of the great work, which is obviously a huge topic. So we're not going to cover it all, but we're going to go a little deeper into the tree today, which I'm really thrilled to do. So before we get started, though, Michael has a few announcements. Hey everybody, welcome to our episode again. We're happy to have Dan on. Um, we've got some really great shows coming up. We have uh, our herbalist and witch, uh, Renee Starr, who we've been trying to have on for quite a while uh, next week, and she's amazing, so should have a lot of fun with her. Uh, next month, we're going to have Jason Miller on. Uh, we had to reschedule him because we had some technical problems, but he'll be joining us. Um, we've got great shows coming up in October. We're going to have some of our paranormal people we'll sort of hello- celebrate Halloween with some Halloween Halloween themed shows, some of our witch friends and so forth. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, get all the information on our website, sixcentsociety.com, S-I-X-T-H, all spelled out. Um, you can also listen to the show as a podcast. If you just search Six Sense Society on Spotify or iTunes, we're pretty easy to find. Um, so if you're out and about and you want to listen in, you can do that too. Um, buy us a coffee on Ko-Fi if you're on the website or subscribe to our newsletter and so we can let you guys know what's going on. Um, we do have some tarot classes we're going to be doing in September. It's going to be our last set for the year, so you can email us or um, just check on the website for that as well. Um, so I'm going to let you guys go back to Krista because we have a fascinating guest. And I don't want to take up too much of your time today, so take it away, Krista. Great. Thanks a lot, Michael, and welcome back to the show, Dan. Well, good day, Krista and Michael. Thank you for having me again. I enjoy these very much. Well, we do too, and I think the uh, audience does as well. We had a lot lot of good feedback from your previous shows, and and I think you have a way of, of making a difficult difficult topics really accessible to many people. Um, so let's get started with this broad show that we're, we're jumping into. And why don't you start with sort of talking about the, the three orders that you... Now, this is, again, how Dan has learned it and how he perceives it and teaches it. And my understanding is this correct, Dan, is a lot of this is based a lot on Rosicrucian ideas, too. Yes, it is. And in fact, uh, the popularistic outlet in the late 19th century was the Golden Dawn. This was the system of grades and orders that they functioned by. But it is much older than the Golden Dawn and has direct connections to 18th century uh, continental uh, organizations which existed like the Gold uh, and Rosie Cross and others. 
So what it is, is we take the Kabbalistic tree of life and there are certain grades of consciousness uh, which are divided into three unique orders. And this forms an entire system of training and development, which integrates things like tarot, like alchemy, astrology, and magic into a complete overview uh, of a system of spiritual development and perfection for us as human beings, a word that means literally to be more than mankind. So that's, that is the basic part of it. And uh, I know I sent you guys a wonderful poster I did a number of years back, which show kind of like a map of all of those on there. I think I sent that to you. Yeah, and, and I think most people that have been introduced to the Western occult mysteries have seen some particular map of the different paths and the numbers and the grades. And, and when I first saw it, I found it very overwhelming, the amount of information just uh, on the trees itself and some of the way it's designated. Um, you know, like uh, like in the different sephira, how they will designate the different a level that you're on with the actual number with the sephira. I forget what it's like six equals five or whatever that is. And it used to I was like, what does that mean? So how you know, one of my questions when looking at your your um, outline you sent us is how does one not get initially just completely overwhelmed, even if I'm taking a class and and um, is that part of a teacher's job to sort of break it down in a way that that you'll be able to digest it? I think it's kind of like, to use a, a human analogy, it's like teaching uh, a baby or a child to swim. You dip their toe in the water, and they see, oh, that's what water is like and whatnot. And they learn how to hold their breath, and that they can float, and if they can float, they can swim, stuff like that. So, yes, it's a vast amount of stuff, and it's kind of like, uh, you got to read the the 300 plus volumes of Vedanta, for example, or learn to study the 300 million uh, Hindu gods. <laughs> it's an overwhelming subject. We're talking about all of life and what is beyond what we understand is this physical life. So basically, uh, I am working on a series of uh, courses. One of them is already out there, which is designed in a way to. Uh, make these much more accessible so that you can get a real world handle, a conceptual handle on, on what this is all about and this tradition. And the idea that I wanted to do is to present it in such a way that it is meant to augment or complement whatever you're studying. If you're not studying Kabbalah, but Wicca or something in an Eastern tradition, you can study this and see how it will complement what you are studying and expand upon it and give you uh, a different point of view to look at whatever you're looking at. Because these traditions, whatever they are, there are many different paths up this mountain of spiritual attainment, but they all end in the same culmination. They go to the same apex and peak. And that's what the idea was behind this course that I've kind of put together. And it's the first of three and the second one, which if we get this one to go, uh, now I might write it anyway, even if it does go, <laughs> is to begin to uh, get you involved in practical uh, experience, either magically and or uh, through guided meditation and so forth, into what all these different symbols and levels of consciousness that are on this map. That's what the Tree of Life is. It is a map, like a blueprint of creation with all of these 
different aspects of consciousness that we all possess. Yeah, and that's something I, I recall you wrote um, in in the part you sent to us. You were talking about it being a map of the interior kingdom that we were born mm-hmm. to rule. And uh, so my uh, question was, um, how is this by working? Because this this takes dedication, even if you, let's say, you make it a little more practical and accessible. But it's, it's fairly a, a lot of work. And so what is it that you think people should know that it can do for people that integrates into living a harmonious life? Now, obviously, if I'm a spiritual being, let's say my spiritual um, desires just to become enlightened, just, but that that's a different <laughs> like motivation than let's say I want to use uh, spirituality to, to be a really good nurse. And I want to improve my life as a nurse and, and I want to be in this world and I want to also have a spiritual reality. So I think what, what I've found with the um, Kabbalah, the way it's sometimes presented through the magical world, it seems like there's a split there. And um, but I don't feel that from you. So can you sort of talk about that a little bit? I think the idea is this, is that we are trying to find out more what what and who we are about, what we are as human beings. That's an important term to understand that it, it, it refers directly to the transcendental aspect of ourselves. We realize uh, on a mundane level that we have a great many latent abilities that are not realized. We have an inherent divinity that is not realized. And any system of spiritual development, uh, initiatory system into the mysteries, what have you, is meant to make us wake up to this. And as we wake up to it, then we begin to understand how amazing this precious miracle of life really is and what nature is. If you use the example of being a nurse, well, this is someone who's in the, the, the healing arts. They're in medicine. They want to be caretaker to their brothers and sisters to help them get better and to feel better and so forth. And what exactly does that mean? And how does it relate to me directly? And how does it... Uh, come to being giving service to all of life how do i use subtle little talents that i may have to bring about uh all of this stuff how could i use my speech in such a way that actually makes feel people understand and relax and feel better how could i use my touch and we talk about healing with the laying on of hands to make someone feel better how can i come into a room and instantly feel what someone is is struggling with or suffering with their pain their their fear their depression these are all the things that anyone who follows a spiritual tradition is interested in developing and that's why they're kind of drawn to it yeah i really like that a lot i i think that's really important because i think that at least uh for instance in the path of buddhism there's different paths for everyone there's the lay path there's the monk path there's all these and i think that that uh it's true in magic but i think maybe we just see from the books that are published and well known that it seems like you have to be a magician or a, you know a practicing mm-hmm. professional witch to do all this rather than let's i just want to be a a salesman you know <laughs> and there's nothing inherently wrong with that if that's what you're you feel called to and i think that it's good to let people know that so that they don't feel alienated from these traditions. Yeah, uh, I, I agree with you there. It's, it's in a way 
it's going back to our predecessors who were not primitive. They were ancient, but not primitive. And that tribalistic consciousness meant that they had this connection with nature in such a way that in some respects we have lost in our 20th and 21st century lives, you know, and this is, this is an idea to become like that. So in all the books, which, you know, you get into the occult, you go to the bookstore, you, you spend all your money, you get books, you read books and you do some stuff and whatnot. And the way I've tried to write this course is in such a way that it's, it's a journey that we are all taking. Uh, I'm not talking down to anybody or anything like that. These are potentials we all have. These are experiences either you have had or you will have them. And that is the idea uh, behind this. I like that kind of idea that there's no sense of competition. There's a sense of we are fellow journeyers on this. Maybe I know a little bit more about some things, but I'm, I'm no less of a student than anybody else who might talk to me or pick up some of my materials and read them and so forth. So, so tell me a little bit about the difference in the, the orders, the three orders. Okay. Uh, and for those of you who are familiar with the Tree of Life, the first four sephirot on the diagram of the Tree of Life, which is uh, at the bottom of this glyph, you have a glyph with 10 circles and 22 interconnecting paths. That's the most familiar one. There are a couple of others that are similar but that's the most familiar one that's used in Western practice. So the first circle is called the kingdom or Malkut, and it has to do with the kingdom of nature into which we are all born. The second one is Yesod, meaning the basis or foundation, and it. Uh, the first one is Zelator as far as the grade of consciousness goes, and the reason it's called Zelator is because myself and probably you and a lot of other people who are drawn to this, they have an experience which is just, it is overwhelming. And it's, it's not like anything they can compare it to. And for some reason, there is this innate understanding that, hey, somehow everything is one. Everything is alive. Everything is conscious. And I believe this because of what I've experienced. I'm not trying to convince anybody else. <laughs> but how do I find out more about it? So the next grade is Theoricus, where you study the, theor the theory, the basis of all of that. And as it becomes sense to you, what is meant if everything truly comes as the ultimate source of being makes everything one, conscious and alive, what does that mean? Well, then you begin to do practical things with it, like we talked about here. And it could be magic and it could be other stuff, but it's practical application of the knowledge you've gained. And then as you go through that and you have your experiences, it leads you on to something called philosophist. And philosophist, the last of the four grades, means the love of wisdom. Wisdom is the highest and best use of your knowledge and your experience. So you go through the practical work to become wise. And that is the basis of what's called the first or outer order. And the reason it's called the outer order is because there's a great deal of emphasis on observation and insight. We are trying to develop the ability to, to have spiritual insight, to see what's going on beneath the surface and to understand that. Okay, so that's the first order. The second order is called the inner order of the greater mysteries. The first are called lesser, but they're not inferior. They are simply preparatory for what comes next. So the inner order has to do with your exploration of that interior kingdom, which somehow connects you with everything else. Because one of the basis of this is the Hermetic Kabbalah, is what it says in something called the Emerald Tablet of Hermes. 
as above, so below. The way I like to think of it is as within, so without. So now you develop that and you see there's these three grades of adept shift. You're becoming adept at, at everything you learned in the, in the first order. And there's a lesser adept, a greater adept, and finally exempt, elect, or eminent adept. And that's where you develop that and your latent potentials and the perfection of you as a human being is beginning to realize full appreciation, full fruition of uh, the blooming of this rose upon the cross, the opening of, of the heart. So the third and highest order. Now, before you go into that one, um, why is this one, the second order called the ordeal? Well, it's actually, there's a little space between first and second order. And that is, uh, there are three paths that you have to deal with in what you have learned in your observations and whatnot about the unity of all things. Because the three paths have these three cards uh, associated with these tarot cards. So the first path that you're going to deal with is Ion, the I, and this is appearances, but it's also associated with the devil. And most people think of the devil as evil. <laughs> so what is evil? How does that affect us? What is that all about? You know? And then we learn to deal with that. And then the second one is even better for noon on the other side. And that's attributed to the death card. So first evil and now death. And these are probably two of the most scariest things that any of us in the human condition must deal with. But there isn't a reconciliation for all of this. And it's an ordeal to come to it. And that is the uh, path of trial, probation, and whatnot. So Samic is related to temperance. And you see this vision of an angel, which is what is called the holy guardian angel within this tradition. At Zelator, there's a spiritual experience that talks about the vision of this holy guardian angel. When you get into the second order, finally, after going through this ordeal, which is like neophyte adept, okay? Like we have a neophyte for first order, there's a neophyte adept. When you get into that, then you finally have the knowledge of and conversation with this holy guardian angel so that is the reconciliation between these two things what does this mean this this evil and this death that we have in our lives now i'm not going to try and give you the answers to that it's something everybody else has to come up on their own and i could give a little hints and clues and i do in the uh lessons that i've come up with so that you go through this and that's what it's like it's it's the part that integrates what you learned in the first order in the outer mysteries and what you learned about your insight to begin to apply it to becoming an adept knowing what you're doing and applying it effectively because in the rosicrucian tradition as you mentioned at the first manifesto the fame of the fraternity or in latin all the highbrow documents were in latin it's called Fama Fraternitatis, it said, uh, you shall claim no dignity or power, but to cure the sick and that for free. Mm. Yeah, so we, I remember that our, from, our, from a previous show. Yeah. Previous show, when uh, Christopher was on, he talked a lot about that whole healing aspect. And I, I had never heard that before, because I don't know much about Rosicrucianism. So it was really interesting, actually. Yeah. And I mean, this is what it's all about. It's very clear what, what all of this is about and so forth. So you go through this ordeal and it, it's not like a one-time thing. You're constantly going through it as you're dealing with very unique situations of life, you know? And I mean, you just look at the human condition and all the suffering we go through personally and 
uh, community-wise and with our relatives and on nation level. I mean, it's very, very obvious right now, <laughs> all mm. this kind of stuff. So then eventually, eventually, you come to this idea of mastership, whatever that may be. Because the top three grades, the third and what is truly an invisible order, because it exists purely internally, uh, it has three grades. There is the divine understanding of Bina, which is related to the master of the temple. And that also relates to the highest aspect of the human soul structure, something called the Nashama, and that is the immortal divine aspect of the soul. And then on the other side, you have divine wisdom, and there's something there called the Chaya, which means the life force itself, and that's related to being a magician. So you have the master of the temple, then you have the magician, which is the master of the temple, if you will. And finally, you have the crown, which is a grade in Latin called ipsissimus. That literally means the one who knows the self most. Hmm. And in there, there is this technical Kabbalistic term called yachida, and that is a feminine form of the Hebrew noun for yahud, meaning unity. So it is this passive unity that always is, and that we... Uh, recognize and remember and come back to. Uh, one of the famous sayings is, it's not that the world changed. The world has always been this way. It's that you changed. Your perception of it changed. And that's what initiation is all about. So it, it's quite um, a lot of um, material, but also it seems to me like a lot to realize as an individual if you're fortunate to get to through the second order to me that seems like that would be a lot of an accomplishment mm -hmm. and and so is it um true that if you progress progress that there are signs you know i know i know in buddhism there are signs mm -hmm. of real progression that the teachers see in students and you might not even know that they're the signs do you have something similar in that there's certain common things that happen so you can say oh, this person's really um, getting this, they're really changing, mm -hmm. um, and then uh, what would be some of those signs in each of the orders? Well, uh, I don't know, we'll talk about the, the path generally rather than try and ca categorize them per se, but generally speaking, it's an idea of becoming more of a human being. Are you more empathetic? Do you appreciate what your fellow beings physical, and if you're into the theurgy or the magic, non-physical are going through? I mean, you know, our interaction with uh, uh, elemental beings and spirits since uh, 2006, they're extremely upset with us and what we're doing to the world, okay? And the shamans echo all of that. So there's this kind of thing of becoming much more sensitive and aware and then learning how to control and deal with that. Because there are people, I'm sure you've met and maybe yourself, they're empathetic and they have stuff and they go, I can't go in here. I can't be around this person. All right. uh, it's just too overwhelming. They don't know how to deal with it. So the adept aspect, the inner order work, is learning how to deal with all of this and to have some kind of control over it and to be able to interact with it in an effective way. That's not easy. Yeah, it's hard. Climbing up the mountain of spiritual attainment is a hard thing. That's why that hermit's got his staff there. That staff is the tradition, the ageless wisdom that we all seek and look for. 
I was um, helps you up the mountain. Well, I was listening to I forget which one this um, really good theosophical YouTube, and the man on there was talking about that as you go up the mountain, and I, I personally never heard this, but you probably have that instead of it, it gets much harder as you get to the top. And I have to say that was so I I felt so relieved because when I first started my practices. I feel like I really grew quickly. Like I felt like I had, you know, progress right away. And and then I, I went through a long period where I started hitting major obstacles. And then even when I went back into it, I felt this is so much harder. Why is it so much harder? And then I remember listening to this man who was a theosophist said, oh, that kind of makes sense that the closer you get to it, it's actually you're really going into the fire. And, and it's challenging, I find. Of course, it's challenging because now you have to, this is why Israel Rigardi called all of this work a kind of advanced form of psychology. You have to deal with all of your programming and the psychological baggage you carry and so on and so forth and your tendency to get upset, frustrated, and angry and all this kind of stuff. And this is not an easy thing in an individual incarnation to deal with. Right. That's why we have many, 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 many of them before you get to this point for your Buddhist tradition of being the Bodhisattva, you know, the one step before Buddha. It's not easy, but in some respects, your understanding becomes much clearer and you realize that a lot of the stuff is very simple. It's not really complex. Mm-hmm. It's not It's not brain surgery or rocket science. It's a simple understanding of the entire panorama of life and what is really valuable what is really important and significant to us as living beings and to all of our fellow living beings whether they're animals or their spirits or whatever they are you know this this is where it really comes down to that and the more you succeed at that and the more you accept yourself and the more using an essential christian ethic as i like to call it forgive yourself and forgive others the better you succeed but is that an easy thing Generally speaking, not in the beginning. (laughs) No, No, and I think we all have different levels of capacity, which I have no particular opinion about. I I think one of the things that is important that I learned through uh, a book I read by Jamie Sams, and and she uh, did the medicine cards, and she was a she's no longer alive, but she was had a combination of I think French tradition and some indigenous. And I think some kind of sorcery. At one point in the book, she says that it's it's there's no there's no rush to enlightenment. She said that you go at your own pace, and that's perfectly fine. You can even take a rest. She said, it's fine. You're going to get there eventually. And I really love that she said that because I think sometimes, at least I have put pressure on myself, you know. And I I don't know that that really helps our evolution spiritually. No, it doesn't. And in fact, if I like the one way I, when I had that kind of realization uh, now a little while ago, <laughs> uh, it's kind of like, hey, none of us are going to beat out eternity. You're going to get there eventually. It doesn't matter. 100,000, 10,000 lifetimes, you're all going to get there. So, you know, don't, don't, don't fret about it. <laughs> don't, don't be hard on yourself and judgmental and so forth. I, I, it was a relief, I, I have to say. And and now one of the things when I was looking at your curriculum, I noticed and is that it, it seems like at each of the orders, the lessons begin on the left side of the tree. Is that true? And then the way the paths are, they, they start on the left, most of them. 
And I didn't know if that was just uh, something, you know, important well, I, I or not. I haven't looked. I know that's true for the first order uh, for the sequential thing because we're kind of counting backwards. So you start at Malkut, which is number 10. Then you have the path that connects Malkut to Yesod, or Zelotur to Theorcus, and that's the 32nd path. And then after those are connected, the next one that opens up is going to be the 31st path. So 32 is there, then 31, and we're at Theorcus, and then you get to 30, and finally you get to the 8th path of Hode, or Practicus. So yeah, I can see that there, there might be a leaning for that, and there's two things that have to do with that. The left side, the pillar of the left side of the tree is kind of considered the passive pillar. But it's also, since Hebrews read from right to left, it's the pillar of the future. It's your future accomplishment. Mm. Okay. So I can see that it's, it's an interesting idea. I need to go back and take a look at these. I mean, I'm studying this for, for half a century. So there are always things that I'm learning constantly. And it would be interesting to see. Uh, to go back and see how that is. I know that is definitely true. There's a little bit of a reverse sequence for the ordeal because we'll start with this 24th path of uh, the devil and then go on to the 26th path of death and then finally the 25th in the middle. So that sequence is altered slightly for very significant reasons. Now, um, looking, yeah, the diagram is really fascinating itself because I see new, like, shapes and combinations like looking at it visually you know like that middle section looks like a rectangle to me and i've been thinking about what is that rectangle energy where they're all you've got the uh, from the tarot point of view we've got like the death card and the devil and you know all in that area it's so compact mm -hmm. and it just makes you start what i love about it, it just makes you start thinking about it like why is it that way and what does that mean to me and um, I think that's probably why. Now, I know you pronounce it Kabbalah, and I say Kabbalah, so I don't know what's correct. But if I say Kabbalah, it's just because that's what I'm used to saying. <laughs> sure, sure. And, and part of that is because, you know, I, I wasn't born a Jew, but spent a lot of time learning how to speak Hebrew. And Kabbalah has only one letter that's B, but there's a dot in it in the middle of that letter. It's, those are the double letters. And that's called a doggish forte. So when it's like that, it means it's a hard pronunciation. It's a ba. ba. If that dot is missing, then it becomes a ba. Ah. That's how it becomes soft. So all these double letters, as you see, which are for the planets, have hard and soft renderings. And the hard renderings on a philosophical standpoint from classical Judaic Kabbalah are much more materialistic. They're hard edge and whatnot and stuff that kind of, you know, puts on the skids and make things hard when you go to the soft ones it's easy it's okay that's the spiritual aspect of things the part that's not going to judge you the part that's going to say you have all the time in the world and all that so yeah that's kabbalah means you speak hebrew if you want to call it kabbalah that's fine because i hate these these invented systems of transliteration, which have gotten people pronouncing stuff in different ways. Right. And, you know, I, I finally said, you know, you pronounce it how it's comfortable for you. Why pronounce it different? I'll take the time and explain it to you. And that's the short explanation. Mm. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate it, actually. So um, is there when, when people like, for instance, if they sign up for your course and they want to, you know, go through it all, um, is there a certain amount of time designated for each of the orders and is there um whether you do it or in the tradition of teaching the the pathway systems is there like a certain amount of time that is like a minimum requirement 
for people like like to go through so they spend enough time there well if they sit down and they read through the first 10 lessons which is the first order in a night uh either they have a lot of experience and they know a lot or they're skimming through it without tasting all the flavors <laughs> it's kind of like uh you know i have uh Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings movie, which is 12 hours long, and I've watched it on and off and on and off, but it's only this last year that I really noticed all these little subtle things that they made an effort to put into the movie, the way the actors are, the writing, and all of this. So I would say that, you know, if you go through it and you want to go through it at a certain pace, fine, but be prepared that you're going to go back and take a look at certain things again. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's that's just the way that is, I would say. Go at your own pace, whatever that pace may be. But if you want to read it all and decide that just reading stuff is going to change you, well, it will, but only to a certain degree. <laughs> and it may not be the intensity that you, you're hoping for. I was thinking about this before the show, too, that there's sort of a pro and con of people having access to all material ahead of time. Like, for instance, you can buy, you know, the whole Golden Dawn rituals and everything rather than having them shown at different yeah. stages. And that it, it seems that it can take away a little bit of the impact of, for instance, uh, if you were going into a ritual um, what do you think about it? like so the the surprise element of of not knowing everything ahead of time intellectually um, can have a, a positive influence on the psyche? Yeah, well, it can certainly have a much more intense influence on the psyche. Uh, and I mean, when I when I got it, I read all of those rituals, and then many years later, oh, maybe like about six to ten years later did I actually experience them firsthand in a ritualistic temple setting? And they had quite an impact on me. In some cases, there are some aspects of them that I did not recall from reading them a long time ago. But the thing is about changes and particularly about initiation is that here we are trying to have some sort of personal firsthand experience, which is unlike anything else in your life path. Okay. So all of these guys for, for our time now in the space age who went up into a rocket or a space plane and looked down on the earth. And I mean, it's not like flying in a plane where you don't see the curvature of the earth. Where you go and outside of the atmosphere, you see the big giant blue ball we live on and you see the depths of space and the stars don't twinkle. That changes you. There's nothing in your life path like that. And everybody who's been there is a member of a special order of initiation. It has changed them. And that's the thing that we try and do with initiation. And that is one of the reasons uh, why I mentioned that thing about getting out into nature and whatnot. Too much are we closed off from that by living in little boxes and driving around in boxes and eating out of boxes and working in boxes. You know, we are compartmentalized from being integrated to the the holistic living organism that that we are a part of. Yeah, I, I think that's really important. Even if you're living in a city and you simply walk around and you notice the birds and there's actually a lot more nature in a lot of cities, some of it deliberate. I found uh, gardens sometimes that are hidden in LA that are incredible. Uh, I think Michael has a question or comment. 
Yeah, just to come back to what you guys are talking about, um, I remember reading about a, a tribe in South America, and um, when they have a, a child that they think is going to become a shaman, that they, when they're just an infant, they take them into a cave, and they're kept in the cave throughout their whole childhood until they, they're you know 18 years old or until they become a man. Um, and they never get to leave the cave. They're, they're indoctrinated in all the teachings and the spiritual teachings and so forth, but, but, but they don't get to see the outside world. And then um, when, when they're ready, uh, when they become an adult, they're, they're brought out at nighttime and they get the first experience of seeing the sunrise and the jungle come to life. And, and when they're able to comprehend all of it based on the teachings, and I can only imagine the impact that that must make on the person. It's got to be absolutely phenomenal. Wow. Yeah. That was part of the popularization of uh, sense deprivation tanks, for example. Mm-hmm. And part of, there's a lot of different things that go on for that kind of training. Part of it is something hopefully that has affected us as a human race in that there's this cloistering effect. There's this thing about, well, you're going to have to learn to relate to the inside of you because you can't really relate to the outside of you. You're isolated. And, and there's this thing about, realizing that you only partially perceive things, which is the thing about the, the first order trying to teach you true spiritual insight, this metaphor of, of the cave, I think it was Plato's metaphor, where the only thing we see in reality, we're stuck in this cave and we see just little shadows on the wall from what's going on outside the cave. And eventually you get released from that, you go out, you see what the world looks like in full daylight, and then eventually you can look into the face of the sun. So that, that is a classic form of initiation and spiritual training. And those of us who have been stuck at home and want to go out and socialize, think about the spiritual opportunity of not ha- being able to do that and then how much more you appreciate it when you can be. Very true. The, you know, the idea of getting back more in nature, uh, I really agree with. And also, um, like... It'd be nice to start, I suppose there are some places that design um, spaces, temples that incorporate nature more. You probably see that more with some of the older, like, Japanese temples, where, you know, because, you know, wanting to practice in nature, there can be an element of risk, depending on where you're, if when, what time you're doing it, you know, you want to do something at night. Um, But the times I have, like when I first met Michael, and we, we went to a cove, together our group and um did the the charge of the goddess under moonlight i'll never forget it it, by the ocean and we trekked in like i don't know it was like an hour an hour and a half and and i was really new to it and it was just so much better (laughs) and 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 yet you know you can't at least in la that's it's probably not the smartest thing to do on the beach at night (laughs) so you know unless you have an army of people so it'd be nice to see designs of places that include sort of a safety net and it's more open to allow nature to interact with you while you're doing your ritual. Yeah. And see, there's the whole thing. You got out of nature and all of a sudden this was a marvelous, intense experience. Uh, And I I agree that I've been out on the beach at night and playing with the surf, you know, and, and the moonlight's reflecting off the crashing waves. And as you do it, it'll come in and try and reach you and grab you a little bit and whatnot and, and all this other kind of stuff, which is just, there, there's nothing to compare to that. You know, it's kind of like, uh, in a way, having a pet or a dog or a cat in that relationship you have with another being, uh, which is not a human being, but has this sense of wonder and just an unconditional love for you and that kind of stuff. I mean, 
you know, there are all these lessons to be taught. And that's all that a tradition does, East or West or whatnot, is it gets you to be open and to appreciate this aspect of nature and what goes on inside of yourself because of what it draws out of you. Right. Right. And and also you really get a taste of the elements, whether it's wind or heat or going like going into the desert. Um, and I think you you really feel their consciousness, their their that they are alive. And especially when you start having interactions that you know are somehow real with, you know, whether or not, you know, it's the wind or the ocean. And I, I know a lot of people have that without doing any spiritual practice. They just go a lot, like people that go a lot to a specific natural spot, they start having the, these experiences naturally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A uh, long time ago, because uh, we were talking about this beforehand, uh, when I went to the local uh, junior college here in Riverside, I took a class called Native American Thought, which is actually taught by a Hopi Indian. And part of the thing in there was paying attention to all the stuff around you. If there were birds that flew by or a frog or an ant, even, do they talk to you? Is there something involved there and whatnot? And uh, they had a very interesting ritual because a lot of that for their initiation is seeking a vision, as they call it, and spending out night, you know, outdoors at night for a day or two and whatnot and seeing what happens and so forth and how that uh, changes you. So there, there is an aspect of that. It's one of the reasons I like the Hermetic Path and particularly alchemy because they say the very first Bible is the book of nature written directly by the hand of God or the creator and not by any kind of divinely inspired human being. I'm not poo-pooing these other things. Mm. But if you look at them, all these other sacred scriptures are kind of based on this. So let's go back to the original first edition and read it. Okay? <laughs> and that's that's what I like about that. Yeah, and I, I like you really, though, emphasize it. I know other people probably do too, but I can see that it, you really bring it out whenever you come on the show and, and how you really show its value. And I think that's very important for people that are, you know, I, I would consider you, you know, fairly scholarly, but you're, you also have that real affection for nature. And I think that's, that's important. Um, because we have, you know, to me, modeling things is the way mo- most people are impressed the most by how people walk their talk in life. And, and that's why, you know, someone like the, the Hopi that you went to impressed you. And it's the same with me with my some of my teachers that impressed me was it, sure they they knew a lot but they lived that knowledge and and that was they embodied it the embodiment of it so perhaps that's right. one of the things that might be a quality that becomes more evident when you're on the path doing all the path work and the 32 paths that you start to embody the knowledge with maybe you don't even notice it as much as other people do yeah, well, I mean, this is where you're going to get the most out of it is is you embody it and 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 you live it. And it's not like I've seen some people who claim to be, uh, you know, a master of the temple or an exempt of death. And I'll give you spiritual counseling for just $800 an hour. You know, and you see this kind of stuff. And you go, oh, come on, people. This is ridiculous. Uh, that really doesn't matter because ultimately when you come to these kinds of realizations, one of the main tests you go through is, hey, What do you really own? Can you own anything at all? No, not even your body. 